Joining us today on the Dialogos Radio and the Dialogos Interview Series is one of the world's most well-known and renowned physicists, Dr. Dimitri Nanopoulos, the fourth most cited high-energy physicist in the world. Dr. Nanopoulos is the Mitchell Heap Chair in High Energy Physics at Texas A&M University, has been a research fellow at CERN and is a research fellow at Harvard University, was formerly president of the Academy of Athens, and is the winner of the Onassis International Prize and the Enrico Fermi Prize. Dr. Nanopoulos, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To begin, share with us a few words about your path from growing up in Greece to ending up as one of the world's most cited physicists. What inspired you to pursue a career as an academic and researcher? You know, it started all started in, in the, the high school, let's say, and I have, uh, I always had something with, with physics, you know, because I wanted to understand how things are made, how the world is made and stuff like that, on my own way, of course, at the time. And then I was lucky enough to have a good, very good professor, a teacher at the, at the high school, and, and then somehow really pushed me to this, to this thing to become a physicist. And from then on, you know, I finished the university of Athens, and then moved to the University of Sussex in, in, in England, and then to CERN, and then Harvard, and then moved on, and uh, things happened, but uh, I would like to stress that it is the beginning that it is really, as always, of course, it's the most difficult part, and looking back to my career, somehow I'm, I'm, somehow I'm, I'm, I'm falling, falling back thinking of how I did some of the choices, you know, from this thing here, but when you are young, that's what you're doing. What has your research typically focused on? Uh, first thing is I'm a physicist, okay, my first property, and then I'm a theoretical physicist. Physics has two parts, it's theoretical physics, I try to understand what's going on with mathematics and with intuition, and then we have our experimental friends that they try to find out if we were right or wrong, and usually they try to prove us wrong to their satisfaction. That's that's what they're supposed to do. And uh, so inside now theoretical physics, there is the domain that I'm working in it is what we call high energy physics or particle physics, and which basically consists of what is the basic stuff that matter is made of. And we know today that atoms and nuclei and protons and neutrons, all of them are composite systems, so they belong to the past. And now the fundamental things are quarks and, and what we call quarks and leptons. Leptons is some particles that actually is from the Greek word leptos, which means thin, that means that because they are lightweight. And uh, so this is the fundamental particles, and we try from there to see how these particles interact with each other through the forces and from there how the world is built up. So this is one part and this is what's called the, uh, what I call the high energy physics part, which is the very, very small parts of the universe. And the other part, it is the, the beginning of the universe, which is called cosmology. Cosmology basically is somehow related with the beginning of the universe and we try to understand how the universe emerged, how it evolved and how we are here today. And uh, actually, during the last 35 years or something, they have been uh, a kind of merging between the very, very small and the very, very big, which is what we call the astroparticle physics. That's a word I used many, many, many years ago. And uh, so it's a new field in physics. Now, here, one may ask, well, what 
it is how it's possible, you know, the very, very big to be very, very small, how they are connected. Well, the connection is very, very simple because we know that we live, this experimental fact, an observational fact, that we live in an expanding universe, right? From this, the universe is expanding. Hubble found this back in the late 1920s. And then because of this, if you go back in time, so it started from something very, 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 very small, which may be even smaller than a proton or the electron or something like that. And so you see now that it is so in order to study by studying the very, very, very small, you study also the beginning of the universe. And that's why how this thing all, it is uh, correlated, if you want. And that's why we're using in our research now, in modern research, we're using both data from cosmology, which is from the Hubble telescope, from Black telescope and stuff like that, and also at the same time from, let's say, from the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in Geneva, you know, the biggest collider in the world, and somehow we try to make sense of all of this together, you know, to get a kind of theory that explains how the universe goes and what's the fundamental laws around the universe. We are speaking with physicist Dr. Dimitri Nanopoulos of Texas A&M University, former president of the Academy of Athens here on Dialogos Radio and the Dialogos interview series. And Dr. Nanopoulos, much of your research has to do with the universe, and you have become well known for your theory that there is not one universe, but many, and that there are 10 or more dimensions instead of the 3 plus 1 that we are able to discern. Could you expand upon these ideas? Yes, this is very interesting and very important. Now, what it is, we know, of course, that we, I mean, observe, apparently we live in, in three plus one dimension, three, three space and one time. Now, what we found during the last 35 years or something like that, that it is, uh, was impossible if we were assuming, as we were assuming up until that time, that let's say mid 80s, that the, these fundamental particles that I was just described before are mathematical point, that means they have no extension, then we found out that we cannot write consistent quantum theory of gravity. And actually, it's very simple to explain why, because we knew it, that it was there, because you remember the Newton's law or Coulomb's law that we learned all in high school goes like, the force goes like one over R square, right, for this thing. If two particles, they don't have extension, you can take this distance, let's say, suppose that you have one quark here and one quark there, and the, 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 the force is the product of the charges over the distance square, right, from this thing. Now, if they have no dimension, then I can make this dimension to zero, right, for this thing. But then you find infinite force and infinite energy, and, and nature we know abhors infinity. So something was fundamentally wrong there. And so, so that's why we extend it. And of course, if I have a fundamental extension, let's say like a small kind of string or something, that's why it's called string theory, then of course I cannot go further than, than this thing. So then the thing that the force is going to be finite can be big, but be finite, not infinite. So that's how the string theory was born. But then what was discovered, but then what happened was that we, we found out during our mathematical kind of, of stuff that consistency of the theory entails on us that it is the, the dimensions that this string can move and, and be consistent has to be 10 or 11 dimensions. That means now that the four dimensions, the three plus one is out, I mean, 
and then we have some extra seven dimensions, seven, uh, I mean, uh, space dimensions, that they should be compactified, because that's what's happening, because we don't see them, right, through this. So something in the beginning was some compactification in these extra dimensions, and that's why we see only the, the big, the large dimensions, and the other dimensions, we don't see them because they're very, 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 very small, right, for this thing. So that's what it is. So that was the 10 dimensions. Now, this is, though, very important because, you see, these kind of theories, they have now... We, we were looking to find a unique theory of, of everything. That is the TOE that we say, the theory of everything, right? And we thought that was one theory, and of course we thought, right. But what we discovered was that during our, our work there, then we found out that, was that we were finding many, many, many other theories. Or that's what we thought. Because we understood in the mid-90s, 10 years after the discovery of, of, of string theory, the main discovery of string theory, that it was the things that we thought that it was theories were not theories, but it were solutions of one theory. So we have the question of one theory, and what we were finding is different solutions. These different solutions, each of them corresponds to a specific universe. And that's how the idea of this multiple universe or uh, parallel universe or whatever it is we, we call it, it appeared. And now what it makes it more fascinating is the following thing. I just told you before that, uh, and for instance, it may happen that there is a universe that in our universe we have three plus one dimensions. Must be another uni it could be another universe that it has seven plus uh, four dimensions. You understand? I mean, seven big and four small. You know, this kind of stuff. All kinds of things. We know we don't have anything specific for the three plus one, right, for this thing. And even more exciting is that the way that the compactification occurs, because I told you that there is a compactification, right, for this extra damage that we don't see. The way that this thing is compactified, it's a box, I mean, super box, it's a super ball, it's a super, tetra, whatever it is, kind of complicated structures in extra dimensions. Then from the form of this compactification, the physical laws appear. So for the first time ever, you know, the human brain has discovered how the physical laws appear in the universe. So each universe, each universe has its own physical laws because each universe has in principle a, a, a different compactification and because of the compactification corresponds to different physical laws. So it's very exciting. Regarding these parallel universes, is there any way, at least theoretically, to cross from one universe to another, or even to detect and confirm their existence? Yes. Okay. Now, that's very. That's what we're looking for, and actually there is a big kind of, of effort now to see now, because uh, everything I was describing to you is nice mathematical stuff, intuitively makes sense, and physically makes sense, and stuff like that, but we always, of course, physics is experimental science, and we need the verification of, of, from experiment. Don't forget that, uh, for instance, for the gravitational waves of, uh, the gravitational waves of, 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 of Einstein, it took for, uh, 100 years. Right? He proposed this in the uh, end of 1915, and uh, we discovered the end of 19, uh, of 2015, right, from this thing. 
Now, of course, it was not the gravitational waves. Uh, what's happened to me? Waves that it is uh, proved Einstein, but it was a fantastic, another fantastic proof for, for his theory. Now, correspondingly here, what we try to find is we try to find some kind of culprits of of this kind of of existence of these other uh, universes, and for instance, some very daring souls uh, are proposing that. It it's very possible in the beginning where maybe all these uh, universes are appearing. I mean, they're not appearing, of course, all the time. I mean, the same time, everything. But somehow, during the appearance of very, very small, it could be collide in a way. And uh, from these collisions, we may find some kind of, of uh, fingerprints inside our universe that somehow some... While the universe is fantastically homogeneous, isotropic, maybe someone can discover in this in some specific kind of specific angle or specific something that there is some kind of like a collision stuff, you know what I mean, of, of, of this type, and that goes a little bit down or a little bit up and stuff like that, and somehow things like that. I'm not saying that it is uh, we have a satisfactory way of going after this but I think it's going to be take some time and people are working along these uh, ideas to make sure that uh, we make these ideas to become uh, experimentally feasible you know that they, they appear in to put them on experimental table we are on the air with physicist Dimitris Nanopoulos of Texas A&M University, former president of the Academy of Athens, here on the Alagos Radio and the Dialogos Interview Series. And Dr. Nanopoulos, how does the idea of time travel relate to everything we've been discussing? Theoretically, at least, is time travel possible and could it ever be achievable in any form? Yes. Now, what is happening is the following, that First thing is that in, in Einstein's relativity, time travel is not possible, right, from this thing, because otherwise, as Einstein was saying, if, for instance, you travel back in time, then you could kill your grandmother and then you would not exist now, right, from stuff like that. You know, you went to that level. Now, now what is happening, it is uh, that in, because I told you about the every universe has its own physical laws. Now, something that uh, they must have in common, and after all, don't forget, as I told you in the beginning, that uh, when I started about the 10 dimensions, that all of these solutions, they have a common origin, right? I mean, they are solutions of the same equation, right, from this thing. And what's happening is that there, they, in order to, a universe to exist, they, the, 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 the basic prerequisite is to become, to have a kind of uh, space, space-time, right, for this thing. This is related uniquely with gravity, and so it's, it looks like uh, the, the, the something that all these solutions, even if, for instance, electromagnetism is not there, or even the strong interaction are not there, gravity has to be there, and coming from the same basic equation, in all of these have to be the same gravitational theory. Now, and for instance, we discover now in the universe gravitational theory, so it must be the same, I mean, with this kind of law of thinking, it must be the same in the other universes. And now we know that Einstein's gravity does not allow for, for time machines, so that's what this thing we come to, this conclusion that uh, time travel is not, is not going to be allowed right from this thing. What other research are you engaged with at the present time? At that time, uh, I'm uh, working also parallel with what's happening in cosmology with what's called the Planck telescope that give us new data all the time. Now, the other thing that I'm uh, working, it is or parallel or 
basically to my mind is my brain is one and the same. It is one thing that we're expecting from the Large Hadron Collider that we discussed in the beginning at, uh, at CERN in Geneva, European Center for Nuclear Research. It is that uh, they have this, this is the biggest accelerator there and looking for a new phenomenon, a new particles basically. And among the particles that they're looking is one of the particles that it is basically identified as dark matter. We know experimentally or observationally that somehow we're made up if we put, make the energy mass of the, of the universe as one. So from there, or 100%, so from there it is uh, 4% is the stuff that we're made of, that's protons, neutrons, the stuff that the galaxies that you see around, the stuff like that. 23% it is what we call dark matter, where it's, it's kind of matter, but very different from the usual matter, and then 73% it is what we call the dark energy. Now, on the issue of the dark matter, we know from gravitational observation and stuff like that, it is there. What we don't know, it is the nature of this uh, dark matter. Now, back in the beginning of the 80s with my group, at, actually I was at CERN at that time, uh, we proposed a very specific category called the neutralino, and that it is that somehow today it's a kind of the main candidate for for dark matter, and we are all very very excited waiting because it can be observed. It is possible that they see it at, at, at CERN right for this thing among other things, and we very excited when waiting to see what will be the results for this thing. And at the same time, we were with with a crate of agony, if you want, to see if they're going to see it or not, right, from this thing, because uh, all of this stuff, as I keep saying, that physics is experimental science, and uh, a good theorist, as uh, Richard Feynman was keep saying, and a great American uh, physicist, uh, well-known all over the world, was saying that uh, the best theories are the ones that they shoot their theories as soon as possible, in order not to spend their time in vain. We are speaking with physicist Dr. Dimitri Nanopoulos of Texas A&M University, former president of the Academy of Athens here on the Diálogos Radio and the Diálogos interview series. And Dr. Nanopoulos, you have previously served as a researcher at the European Organization for Nuclear Research, known as CERN, and were Greece's official nomination to become CERN's director general in 2014. CERN is perhaps best known, in the popular press at least, for its Large Hadron Collider, or Particle Collider. Tell us about this and about the work that CERN is engaged in presently and about your own work with CERN. Yes. Now, uh, CERN, as I told you, they're looking for new first, they, they have, they made the first discovery, big discovery. It is the, the Higgs particle, which basically through the Higgs particle, uh, we have the proof of the, of the Higgs mechanism that basically is a mechanism that, pro, that shows how particles are getting their mass. That's, I don't think is, you can go more fundamental than that, right, from, from, from this uh, kind of thing. And now CERN looks very much for this new kind of stuff that I was, Neutralino was one example that I gave you, but it looks like for this kind of, of new matter, if you want, which is called supersymmetric matter, and everybody's very excited to see if all of this stuff will be discovered or not, because somehow, this thing is going to show us we are in a crosswords, if you want, because we have a lot of successful stories in the past, my generation, but now we go through some kind of uncharted waters, and we need to see now the way we're going. I mean, some of us with, I mean, 
A lot of us, we have a common view on this, but as you know, nature is full of, of uh, kind of tricks in in a good way, right from this thing, and uh, maybe we have some kind of surprises in front of us. So that's why we're waiting, very exciting, and we're working on this to see how things are going, and we try to help our experimental uh, colleagues to become like a kind of a midwife, if you want, in order to get out the, the new results, and uh, which I will be happy if, to our, if they are to our likeness, or if they are not. That's the way it is, and we have to live with this and try to explain the new stuff. In 2015, you had the opportunity to serve as president of the Academy of Athens. What did this distinction mean for you, and what do you believe you were able to achieve with the Academy during your term as president? Yes. Now, first thing is, uh, you know, the, the president of the Academy gets elected from the peers, from the other members of the Academy. So to be elected means that somehow you have some kind of recognition, respect for your colleagues, which always helps. So that was, I was very proud about this. Secondly, about now what, what I decided consciously to do uh, was to somehow open, make a kind of open house for the academy, right, for this thing. Now, you know, in, in America, these things are automatic, right, from this thing here, but not in Greece, right, from, from this thing. And somehow always the academy has a kind of, I mean, people, they know it, they respect it and stuff like that, but somehow they don't know what it is, right, from this kind of thing here. So I made a lot of effort to open this and to to. to people to visit. I gave, uh, make some kind of uh, concert garden, uh, concert outside in the garden and stuff like that. So people came and somehow I tried to break the ice between the society and the academy, right, for this thing, that somehow the academy is not some isolated place that uh, these people, they speak between themselves, they don't care about anything else and stuff like that. And I my my effort was to show to show that the academy is part of the Greek society and they play a very important role in the development of the society. As a result of the economic crisis in recent years, very high numbers of educated university graduates have migrated out of Greece to seek opportunities elsewhere. He have stated in the past that leaving Greece does offer these young people the chance to find new opportunities and to expand their horizons. However, what do you believe Greece can do from an academic point of view and also from a policy point of view in order to be able to retain more of its young graduates and researchers in the future? Okay, yes, you're right that um, I keep saying this, that it is, I, I would advise young people to go abroad. Of course, by saying this, does not should not sound very bad, because uh, if we have talented young people, and if the environment in Greece is not at this moment as good as it's supposed to be, now I don't want to, this talent to be lost. So, uh, and uh, as I keep saying all the time, for me, Greece is not just the geographical kind of borders that we see in the maps, right, from this kind of thing. Greece is everywhere. It is in the United States, it is in Australia, it is in Europe, in Paris, in London, everywhere. And a Greek scientist or a Greek whatever it is, um, economic guy, a market guy, whatever it is, all of them, they, they you know, Greeks are, are crazy with Greece. So we have this kind of what I call the kind of Odysseus kind of blood in our in our uh, in our bodies, you know, in our DNA. If you want, we have this kind of we love uh, uh, Greece. So I believe that uh, if we let uh, young talented people to 
flower on, on kind of bloom on, on, on different uh, kind of countries, I don't find it as a, as a bad thing because through there they can help Greece. Now, what should be, I, I, we keep saying this thing for years and years and years and years. The Greek society here and the Greek university and whatever it is, the, the, the Greek academia should be open and should use with, in quotation marks, with a good meaning of the word, the uh, the Greeks scientists or whatever it is, the successful Greeks abroad, because the, the Greeks abroad, they don't need from Greece neither the money nor the position, stuff like that. They provide this all free, pro bonus, right, from this kind of thing here, and this should be used. Because by doing this, we can have with exchanges, with what, I mean, these are very, very simple things that we can do in order to this thing to, to be developed, and it's not happening. Because every government, they say, yes, 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 nothing is happening, right, from this uh, kind of thing. I have come to, you know, to such an extreme thinking that we see now that uh, we may need to have a new, how to say, filiquiter, what's a threat society or something like that, you know, like the society that uh, it was the start the revolution in Greece in, in 1821, right, from this thing. Because uh, if you remember, and uh, I'm sure people remember that it is uh, the, the kind of the power, locomotive behind all of this was the French society or something like that, right, from this thing, which again was successful Greeks abroad. The leadership nobody knew Right for this, there was secretive society, not from the point of view of, of uh, they were secretive, but it is uh, because they wanted, they didn't want themselves to have specific positions, stuff like that. And uh, somehow they play a very important role in, in, in restarting of, of modern Greece in uh, 1821. So I don't know, maybe we need something like that. I don't know. Could be. How would you say Greek scientists and researchers are regarded in the international scientific and academic communities? Now, here again, we have two kinds, right, in a way that, okay, the, 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 the Greeks abroad that they develop, like, say, in United States and stuff, and every university in the United States have good Greek scientists there. I mean, I amaze everywhere I go, from Nebraska to, I don't know where, give me all the limits, everywhere I find a Greek there. Now, so, they're very well regarded, and quite a few Greeks play a very important role in, in, in modern science. For instance, not only in physics, and cosmology, and particle physics, and I'm not speaking for myself, there's a lot of people out there, and also in biology, in life sciences. Very important people, they're very, very, very important people. Now, the same thing happens, of course, in Greece, things are different, right, from this thing, because the situation here is not, uh, uh, in Greece, it is not exactly the, the situation that you expect to know, to, to, to have in order to produce your best. Uh, nevertheless, the Greeks that are, are producing from here are considered very highly, and we should really uh, command them because uh, they have uh, the, the effort that they're making to produce stuff and such kind of stuff, it's much more difficult for them that for me that I walk to my department, everything is clean, everything is okay and I do my work. And so really, they're, they're, for me, they are the real heroes here that they, they are in Greece and produce stuff from Greece. In closing, what would you name as the one thing that you are most proud of as a researcher and as a person? 
let me start with the second one, which is easier, which in quotation mark, it is the, let's say, several things that he have proposed. For instance, the thing that the, the discovery of the Higgs particle, both the way that uh, it was produced and the way it was decayed. It was uh, for papers of mine when I was very, very young. I was at Harvard and I was at CERN and stuff like that. So that is something that it is in the pocket, is in the books now in quotation mark. Uh, several suggestions that he made about like the dark matter we was expecting and stuff like that, and also we have a kind of what we call the no-scale supergravity, which was the gravity that was talking that it was before that was behind all the universes, if you want. So that kind of what I would like to be my kind of testament for after I leave, but for the person, I'm of course happy for for my work, but also I'm very proud that uh, I'm Greek because we have the heritage of 5,000 years now, whatever you want, how to to, me- to measure this kind of thing here. And we open, at least for the Western world, we are the, the cradle of this thing. I, I know that it, it sounds like a trivialities, but on the other hand, this is the way it is, right, from this kind of thing. And that gives us a lot of burden in our, on our shoulders in order to to go on and with such a heritage we should become better than our ancestors because that they wanted from us to do. We, they, they, our ancestors, they don't want to have us just living with admiration for them. That's okay. That of course should happen. But also they want us to move on. And as I say usually, and some people, I don't know how they take it, I say if Plato and Aristotle was uh, living... This year, as you know, is the 2,400 years from, Einst- from uh, Aristotle's uh, birth in 384 BC. And uh, if they're alive today, I think one will be cosmologist and one, one will, be, will do neuroscience or something like that. Well, Dr. Nanopoulos, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today here on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much.